I'm Jack Cacciarella. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I start off by hitting the headlines talking about the escalating situation in Ukraine, GOP hypocrisy, and why Republicans are mad at Joe Biden this week for nonsensical reasons. After that, Aaron and I have an awesome interview with Virginia teen Democrat and activist Ethan Line, and we finish up with tweets of the week. Aaron, you ready for this episode? Jack, I'm super ready, and I, I want to jump right in and talk about the biggest headline of the past week, and honestly, the past couple weeks, and that's the pending conflict in Ukraine and Russia. Now, Jack, as you know, as you may know, uh, my family is from that area. Uh, we my family grew up in what was formerly known as the Soviet Union, but now is Ukraine. I saw family over there. So this, this is really personal to me. Um, and it, tensions have recently hit an all-time high. Uh, the United States is reporting that an invasion is potentially imminent. Uh, they're obviously working through diplomatic solutions with the Russian government, um, and as well as other key diplomatic allies in the region. However, the Russian buildup around the Ukrainian border of military support, troops, and the like, um, have never been higher, uh, at least not since 2014, when Russia first invaded Crimea and annexed Crimea. Um, so it's pretty significant. It's pretty scary. Um, and I, I'm praying there's no war, but we, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So obviously, you know, prayers to the family that you have on the ground, but, but, you know, through the people that you know, who are close to the situation, what are you hearing? What's, you know, what's the, uh, what's the environment there? What's the general feeling? Yeah, so it's, it's actually pretty funny. Um, they, they, on the ground, uh, like my family on the ground, they're like, we, we don't really care about what's gonna happen with the war. Um, they're, they're not concerned. And the reason why they're not concerned is because they're like, we have more pressing concerns. We don't have food to eat or running water to drink or hot heat or electricity during the winter. Um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, many people are without a job. Many people can't get the vaccine. Many people are sick. That's what people are worried about there. Um, they don't have time to worry about the impending invasion around them. Um, but with that being said, I, I, I really think that it's a scary time um, for those in Ukraine, but also those in all of Eastern Europe, because if Putin can go into Ukraine and take part of Ukraine, there's nothing stopping him from going into Belarus, Latvia, Estonia, and the rest of the Baltics um, in order to recreate his imperialistic empire that was um, the former Soviet Union. I mean, we'll see. I think that something that people don't really highlight much, but need a, that needs to be highlighted more is the, the fact that um, the former president, Donald Trump, his administration really escalated tensions in this region. I mean, when you think about it, people, Republicans are going to say, well, look, Putin didn't try to invade during the Trump administration. That's true. He didn't. The reason why he didn't is because Trump literally would have given Putin anything he wanted. Trump stood with Putin in Helsinki and, and sided with Putin over American intelligence. Trump even went as so far as to ask um, why would, uh, went so far as to say that Ukraine is part of, not, sorry, not Ukraine, Crimea is part of Russia, not Ukraine. So he destabilized the region to no end. And there was no reason for Putin to kind of threaten invasion because under a Trump presidency, Ukraine was never going to see NATO. Ukraine was never going to be part of the Western bloc, mm. the Western allies. Um, and this, desta this destabilization kind of led us to where we are today. And, you know, in, in 2012, when Mitt Romney was the GOP nominee, you know, received the nomination and, and he was the Republican candidate for president, he said that Russia was the United States' greatest political threat. And obviously, Donald Trump and the Republican Party have moved far and away um, from that thought. You see Tucker Carlson clearly embracing Russia over 
uh, over our ally in, in Ukraine. And you see Madison Cawthorn praising the Russian military over that of our own. And that's kind of just the Trump effect. And so it's good that we have a president uh, in Joe Biden who will actually stand up to Putin. But for you know young people who are worried about the potential of entering another war, especially after we just had a 20-year war end, what are, what are your expectations for the actions that President Biden will take? A, I, I don't expect there to be a war. I don't expect there to be a full invasion. And neither do I invades Ukraine. Even if that happens, I don't expect the United States to actually play a large part in it. The last thing the United States wants, and the last thing Russia wants, honestly, is a remake of Afghanistan. For the United States, it's funny because not many young people were around. Russia actually invaded Afghanistan in the 90s. And that really led, that invasion led to the fall of the Soviet Union. It destabilized their economy. It really hurt the Soviet Union. And in a lot of ways, America had a similar kind of um, interaction with Afghanistan. I mean, we went in the thousands and we pulled out and listen, I mean, our, us being in Afghanistan destabilized us, not to the extent that it destabilized the Soviet Union and it, right, we're never gonna fall as a country, but it did destabilize us domestically. Neither country wants this to be an Afghanistan run 2.0. Um, so I don't anticipate the United States getting involved. I don't anticipate Russia getting involved. And even if Russia gets involved, I don't anticipate the United States getting involved. Yeah, and, and speaking of, you know, things that we don't want to be involved with. Uh, Rick Scott was in the headlines recently this week, uh, someone we never like hearing from. Uh, and he was in the headlines for a similar reason that Governor Ron DeSantis uh, as well, um, two Florida men making headlines. And that was for taking credit for something that they didn't do. So on Tuesday, um, we saw that Rick Scott was in the Florida Everglades. This kind of developed as a story throughout the week. Um, you know, so Rick Scott was in the Everglades talking about how proud he was to have secured a billion dollars in funding to preserve right. this important Florida land. Um, but it became known that the billion dollars that he supposedly secured came for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And Aaron, could you please remind me, what did Rick Scott vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill? No. Big old fat no. And, and you know, what... Well, maybe one Floridian senator did, you know, uh, maybe Marco Rubio. Did Marco Rubio? Nope. Big he, old fat no. Nope. nope. And, then how, and then how about our governor? Did he support this bill at all? No, he called this bill a big pile of pork, I think he called it. <laughs> and he, he, he did not support it. So Ron DeSantis was against, I guess I've called it a big pile of pork. I didn't, I didn't know that. A little interesting phrasing there by Ron DeSantis. But he was against um, this important and historic piece of legislation up until a couple of days ago when he held this press conference and was saying, you know, I'm so proud to have secured $80 billion, this incredible funding for infrastructure projects in South Florida. But like he's done so many times before, he was taking credit for a Biden win. That money was coming from the bipartisan infrastructure bill. That was because of work that Joe Biden and Democrats did to get it done. So people of Florida, people of South Florida, you should be thanking the Biden administration. Um, and that's just, you know, GOP hypocrisy that we see all the time. We've seen plenty of representatives and, you know, senators, uh, congressmen that just say, oh, you know, I voted against a Biden bill and I'm going to go ahead and take credit for it. Um, and that's not something that's surprising to us, but it's always disappointing. And no, you got to call that out. Yeah, no, I agree. And we need to keep calling it out wherever we see it. And I, I think that it's going to continue happening. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it's really just all politics. They're going to vote no. They're going to try to obstruct the president's agenda, even if they supported the exact same measures back when Trump was president or when Bush was president, or in some cases like Chuck Grassley when Ronald Reagan was president. Um, 
when so, FDR was president. For Chuck Grassley. But we see the hypocrisy in a lot of ways. We saw it with infrastructure. We're seeing it now with the SCOTUS judge because Donald Reagan, when he was um, when he when he won the presidency, he literally said, I'm going to appoint a woman. I'm going to look through all the women out there and I'm going to appoint the most qualified woman female justice. Right. When Biden does it, there's all this uproar. But when Reagan did it, many of the Republicans were fine with it. And And, and, and Trump as well, more recently saying that he was going to nominate a woman to uh, fill an open Supreme Court seat. And you know what, what you're hearing from the Ted Cruz's, the Josh Hollies, and and, you know, all those people, the Ben Shapiro's is they're saying, well, you know, it should be based on qualifications, qualifications, qualifications. Yeah. But I, I don't know why they're saying that these incredibly successful and impactful black women, women are not, how are they not? How are they not qualified? More oh. than qualified. All th- all three of the ju- the justices on the short judges on the shortlist are some of the most qualified judges in the entire country. I mean, look at their resume; they're immensely qualified. And even Lindsey Graham came out and said that at least one of them is super qualified, and he would vote, he would support her if she were nominated. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and you know, uh, just a, a little refresh. You know, we. Uh, there's been a little distance between the last time that we talked about uh, what's going on with the Supreme Court. Um, is, isn't it true that a, a, a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, that's kind of like the pipeline right to the Supreme Court? Is that not where Brett Kavanaugh, where, where he previously was right before joining the Supreme Court? Yeah, that's where Brett Kavanaugh was. That's where Justice Roberts was. Um, it, it is. The D.C. Circuit's often known as the second highest, second highest or second most powerful court in the land. Because that's where it, it has, it deals with all administrative law, it deals with some of the most complex legal issues, um, and it deals with all the cases that's coming out of DC, the district court, and a lot of the highly political, highly charged cases and the really complex legal issues are out of that court. So yeah, it, it is a pipeline in a lot of ways. Often, it's also a pipeline for the clerks. Clerks on the DC circuit are almost a shoo-in to go onto the Supreme Court and clerk for a justice. Um, so yeah, and, and I think that not just the DC circuit, I think Judge um, Leandra Kruger and the California uh, Supreme Court and Judge Childs. The, Judge Childs is known to be the preeminent employment law expert in the entire country. Judge Kruger um, was, is one of the youngest potential nominees. Uh, Editor-in-chief of the Yale Law Journal argued um, NFIB versus Sibelius, um, which argued in favor of Obamacare from the Supreme Court. And she's argued dozens of times in the Supreme Court. When you think about the past nominees, Amy Coney Barrett was a professor for a few years before, and, and was a lawyer before that, before being nominated to the, to the Seventh Circuit for a year, and then to the Supreme Court. Um, Justice Kagan was a Harvard Law Dean, a Harvard Law professor, um, and his former Solicitor General, was never a judge, and nominated and confirmed to the Supreme Court. So you don't have to be a judge even to be on the court, but all three of these judges are super qualified, some of the most qualified people, and I would expect that they're gonna be, whichever one is picked is gonna be confirmed easily. Absolutely. So, of course, like we were saying, what we're seeing right now is just Republican hypocrisy. And so, you know, before we go on to this awesome interview that I'm so excited about talking about what's going on um, with students in Virginia, you know, on the Zoomed In podcast, we hit all the issues. And, you know, Republicans were were talking about why they were upset with Joe Biden this week. And we have to make sure that we cover all the news. So um, let's get to the reasons why Republicans are mad at Joe Biden. Yeah. So the first thing. Joe Biden did a terrible thing this week. He got a cat. What a what a, what an awful move. You just it's just it's so oh it's it's disgraceful. I'm thankful that we finally have a president who actually likes animals. I I know right, and not just like yeah. Lindsey Graham being your pet, because that's what it was with Trump. But now we actually have two animals. Oh, but uh, Joe Biden, there was outrage. I, I saw someone tweet like "stupid cat." 
And I was like, how can you be upset about a cat? But that's that's the that's the Republican Party. And then and then Joe Biden did something even worse. He went out and got ice cream. Oh, oh no. Ice cream, Kate. There was an AP reporting that it was 34 degrees out and President Biden was getting ice cream and, and saying that it was too cold to get ice cream. Aaron, is, is it ever too cold for ice cream? No, uh, I actually, I'm a fan of getting ice cream when it's cold out. But Jack, quick question. Where, where in your reporting did, do you have that Joe Biden went golfing? Do you, do you see that anywhere? I, what, what, I, there, was no, there was no golfing, but there no. was something worse, Aaron. There was ice cream and there was a cat. Well, you know, terrible. golfing 18 holes takes four hours. Getting, uh, getting ice cream takes about 30 minutes. You know who golfed 18 holes the most in any other president? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I think, I think our president should be eating ice cream more and golfing less, and that's why I love Joe Biden. And those are the ridiculous reasons why Republicans are mad at Joe Biden this week. And that's it. That's literally, those are the reasons. Those are the reasons that, he's, that they're upset with him. So. It, it, it's honestly, I mean, it's got crazy. And, and Jack, I know you said we were, this was the last segment before we were going to go hit, um, get to our interview. but I'm I just, a little surprised. Yeah, a little surprise for you. Um, Tom Brady was retiring. It's no longer retiring. Just said that right now that he, it's literally day to day with me, has not decided whether he's retiring on his podcast. What are your thoughts? Okay, so zoomed in, we're doing zoomed in <laughs> sports style. So I, obviously, you know, you and I both Floridians, your allegiances lie with the Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I am in the central Florida area, I kind of have my pick between Jacksonville and Miami and Tampa Bay. And technically, I am the closest to Tampa Bay. I am the closest to Tampa. So I have enjoyed uh, the, the sweet, sweet run. It has been since the early 2000s. Since, I believe the year I was born, 2002, since the Bucks had won a Super Bowl up until you know, Tom Brady bringing the show back to Tampa. So you know, Tom Brady don't always agree with his politics. He was making, he was actually, you know, when, when the Bucks went to the White House, he was making some pretty funny jokes to President Biden. There was a good little rapport going there. I liked it, but you know, I would love to see Tom Brady play one more season, have like a little retirement tour. I think that'd be I think that'd be pretty cool. As as a Jets fan, I never thought this day would come. I'm very thankful if Tom Brady is retired. Listen, he's the greatest of all time. I respect the hell of hell out of what he's done, but I'm thankful that I, he will no longer be able to torment my team any longer. Well, your so. team will torment your team. That's the, Jets, the Jets' biggest issue is the Jets. And and with that, we've hit the headlines. We've hit going on sports now. This is becoming a sports podcast. We're going to have to talk about what the Lakers are going to do with the trade deadline. Okay, but now what we're going to do is we're going to get into an awesome interview with Virginia teen Democrat Ethan Lynn. So today on the show, we are so excited to have on for this awesome interview, Ethan Lynn. Ethan is a teen Democrat in Virginia, and he is heading up one of the largest, actually the largest organization of teen Democrats in Virginia. Ethan is organizing young people across the state and speaking up against new governor, Glenn Youngkin, who is doing everything he can to attack the education system. So we are so excited to have an important voice on the podcast. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank y'all. I'm so excited to be here. Ethan, I, I just want to jump right in. And I see in your background, you have several posters, which Jack and I are obviously a fan of. You got the Biden-Harris poster. You got the McAuliffe um, poster as well from this past election cycle that didn't go as we wanted to, wanted to go. Um, but I want to hear your thoughts. What message resonates in Virginia? And why did we lose in 2021? And what can we do differently to win 
in 2024 and 2025 when Youngkin is up or when you have another gubernatorial election? Yeah, so I think a, a message of change um, always resonates here and just uh, talking about progress and, you know, what Democrats have done for people. You know, 2021 was a bad year for us nationally. I mean, Bill Murphy almost lost a Republican one citywide in Seattle. Um, so it was an extremely tough loss. Um, I, I firmly believe that we could have toppled any other candidate, but I think that, you know, you know, Republicans really nominated their dream candidate and that here comes this guy with not a lot of political baggage, he's kind of like handsome to suburban women, right. um, stuff like that. And, you know, just there was, we had to, it, we had to work hard to find stuff to attack him on and it was pretty difficult and just facing strong national headwinds from blockades in the Senate and, you know, uh, Afghanistan headwinds, stuff like that really, I think, crippled us. No, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think that um, it really showed. Now, pivoting off of that a little bit, do you think that a lot of people on social media and in the news blamed this election on the whole anti-Trump rhetoric that many Democrats were pushing? And they were like, we lost because all you focused on was Trump. Do you right. agree with that? I actually don't agree with that. And it, it kind of makes me mad when people talk about that, because Terry had a brilliant team of dozens of policymakers. And if you went to his website, he had pages, 20 page packets of different policies. And if you watch the rallies, he talked about what Democrats did. And the strategy of going against Trump in the beginning did not seem like a worse one because, you know, Trump, Virginia was one of the only swing states that he lost in 2016 and then lost by double digits in 2020. So, you know, we thought that he was so unpopular here to the point where, you know, Biden's own popularity wouldn't matter. But uh, we ended up, I guess, being wrong in that bet. So obviously you are one of the leaders of an, an incredibly important organization of young people in the state, and they must have been excited to get out and vote for Terry McAuliffe. But in speaking to friends or maybe less engaged young people, what were you hearing that were the issues that mattered most to them? And what were the messages that actually got them uh, interested and, and activated and wanting to go to the polls? Yeah, so definitely for me talking about gun control, which is interesting because I live in one of the most Republic, one of the most consistent Republican counties in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. But, you know, students everywhere at schools are still scared because we see it on the news every day. There's a new school shooting. So definitely talking about that. And also, you know, definitely marijuana expansion. High schoolers get excited about that. And then climate change too. Because it's you're going to be very hard pressed to find a teenager that doesn't at least agree that humans are doing something to the climate, because this is the world that we're going to be growing up in. Yeah. And so you bring up climate change. Obviously, that's an issue that really motivates young people. We are, we are needing action right now to make sure the future of our planet is protected. But, you know, we also have an existential threat to our democracy, a democracy we're going to want to inherit. In the same way, do you see young people in Virginia being motivated to protect the future of our democracy and care about voting rights kind of in the same way? Is that an issue that sparks concerns and will really turn people out? Yes, I believe it's starting to. You know, about three hours after Youngkin was inaugurated and he signed these 11 executive orders, like eight of which were just insane, or it might have been like seven. Um, young people, I mean, we posted, you know, we let people know what he was doing on social media. You know, he just banned a class that doesn't exist. He just took away our mask mandate, stuff like that. And people were fired up. Uh, posts that we did got tens of thousands of interactions. Uh, people were sending me, you know, my friends reposted this all across the Commonwealth. 
So I think that, yeah, they're definitely getting motivated. And I know one big thing here is Youngkin took away contact tracing. And that has made a lot of people extremely upset at my school because if I don't know the person next to me, like I, I'm not friends with them or anything, and they're out with COVID, I have no way of knowing because they're not going to tell me anymore. They're not specifically finding anything. So I'm kind of just waiting at this point, waiting for one, the court to strike down the mask optional thing, and two, waiting for our entire district to have to go to, to, have to go virtual because of the amount of COVID cases. Right. Yeah, and you, and you talked about the uh, activism of young people in schools. I heard an interesting story about some online organizing, specifically on TikTok, uh, in a response to uh, a hotline opened up by the governor where you could, you know, uh, you could report parents, you could, parents could report students or teachers. What, what, like, explain that story so our listeners know what was going on. Oh, yeah. So Youngkin uh, decided to take it upon himself to create a tip line for any teachers teaching divisive topics because, you know, that's just such a big, uh, the biggest oh, issue face in the country, yeah. really. And that immediately was met back with like, are you kidding? Like, are you trying to call teachers to resign? You know, what is this? I had even, you know, a Republican former member of my school board here saying this is absurd because if you have an issue with what your kid is being taught, you first talk to the teacher. If the teacher fails, you then talk to the principal. If the principal fails, you maybe then go to the school board. But the governor is nowhere in that in that line of order. And, you know, give a, give, give a bunch of teens an email address and we will spam it with whatever. I mean, kids were emailing the B-movie script, the car script, just get, uh, messages of how much they love their teachers, just random spam. And I think, I'm not certain, but a couple of days ago, email started to bounce back. So they might have shut it down, but I'm not 100% sure. But uh, yeah, that, that was a pretty swift mobilization effort. Because we don't want to, we hate seeing our teachers like this. It's like nothing they can do is correct. And you said that there was a possibility that they probably shut it down and the emails were bouncing back. So it just really shows how, you know, I know this was uh, kind of like TikTok activism. That's incredible that young people and their response to what was just an absolutely absurd, really a stupid idea. Um, I would shut this thing down pretty quickly just by spamming it and, and showing the governor that this was ridiculous. So that's awesome that you were a part of that organizing is amazing. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Quick, quick question. So we, we can talk all day about like, the failures of Youngkin or the failures of what we did maybe wrong during the election cycle, but how do we rectify that? What, what are you doing and what is your organization doing to register young voters, to register 18, 19, 20 year olds, but not just young, not, not just young voters who can vote, but rather also because in Virginia, 17 year olds can register so long as they're going to turn 18 years old by the time the election. So how are you not only registering, but also telling those voters that, hey, you can vote, you can register, it's, it's your time is now. Yeah, so a lot of it is peer-to-peer -peer, uh, outreach, uh, as well as, you know, we're gonna kick off soon a, so a large social media promotion because, you know, a lot of kids don't realize, a lot of students don't realize my age that we can register now, even if we haven't voted yet. Like I have not voted yet. Um, my first time voting will be in June. Mm -hmm. um, but it's mainly peer-to-peer. -peer. Like I registered every senior I could at my high school before the 2021 election and made sure that they all went out to vote on election day. A lot, awesome. of them, a lot of them got a lot of texts from me in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I plan to soon, probably in March or like late February start, you know, just going through checklists in my classroom, you know, table to table and getting each kid registered uh, mm -hmm. until the large majority of my grade is. So what, I think that's awesome. And I think more people need to be doing that across the country. Um, more young people need to be doing that. Um, but what's your message to a young person who just says, listen, 
politicians don't care about me. Politicians aren't talking to the issues that I care about. Politicians don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. Why should I care about them? Why should I care about politics? What's your response? I would say if you felt like you haven't been cared about, you can change that at the ballot box. Um, you know, you can elect someone that is your age and looks like you. Um, just look at all the, you know, primary candidates that are winning all across the country uh, and explain to them issues like uh, voting rights and stuff like even masks. And, uh, oh, a, bi- a big thing for uh, women my age is abortion rights, stuff like that. Explain, you know, if you don't go out and vote, you know, this could all be taken away. Nothing here is concrete. It's co- sort of like before the 2021, 2021 Virginia election, when all that stuff was happening at the Supreme Court and it looked like Roe was going to get overturned. You know, candidates, I know we tried so hard to explain to people, you know, you guys need to get out and vote to protect abortion rights, but they said, no, we have a Democratic governor, we're okay. And it's just, they never fully connected the dots that a Democratic governor is not always concrete. So it's just about educating people uh, about what could happen to them and how they could end up getting changed if they just uh, get out there and vote. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you. And Ethan, before we let you go, because it, it, this has been really awesome, and I, and I hope more people kind of heed your message and um, follow your lead, more young people. If people wanted to kind of follow you and listen to the message you're putting out, where can they where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on my main platform is Twitter, and then you can find me at, at you have you have over twenty thousand followers now. On Twitter. Blowing yes. up your message, people really it's really resonating, and I think that's awesome, and it should. Yeah, closing in at 25, it's at uh, E-T-H-A-N-C-L-Y-N-N-E. And then you can follow my organization. It's at VA Teen Dems. Uh, we're big on Twitter and Instagram as well. And if Absolutely you're, go check them out. Incredible yeah. organizations. And you guys are doing an awesome job. For sure. And, and, and if you're a teen in Virginia and want to get involved with the VA Teen Dems, where do they go? What can they do? Uh, follow us on social media and shoot us a DM. Awesome. And we will get you set right up. And also you can email us, v18dems at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, folks, you heard, it, you heard it here first. Ethan, it was great to have you on. Thank you so much for zooming in with us tonight. It was honestly a pleasure. Of course. Thank you all. And now it's time for Tweets of the Week. Our first tweet says, I'm excited for teenagers to rebel against their Fox News adult parents by reading books and caring about other people. That is truly the opposite of Fox News is staying informed and being kind. Books over guns. There you go. Yeah, I agree. Our next tweet comes from First Lady of the United States, Jill Biden. Ah, Dr. Jill, Jill tweets, meet Willow, the first cat of the United States. There's a bunch of cute photos. Aww. I love having pets in the White House. And our final tweet comes from Madison Cawthorn's Democratic opponent, Josh Remillard in North Carolina. Josh says, I've spent my life fighting to defend democracy. Madison Cawthorn has spent his fighting trees. The choice is clear. I agree. The choice is very clear. (laughs) And with that, that has been Tweets of the Week. And that is our show. Thank you so much to all of the awesome, I see Aaron dancing, I love it, to all of the awesome Zoomed In listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in every week, every Wednesday to our show and watching us live on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook, every Thursday. 
thank you all so much. If you are enjoying the show, that makes us so happy. Please spread the word to your friends or, you know, maybe share it online. And Aaron, if people want to shout out the show and maybe shout out you, where can they find you? So add Zoomed in, obviously, um, on Twitter. Go shout out the show and subscribe if you haven't. But if you want to shout me out, and I greatly appreciate it, at Aaron Parnas on all of my platforms and at Aaron Parnas for number six on TikTok. Love it. Killing it on TikTok. Yeah. And if you are looking to find me on any platform, on Twitter specifically, hey, that's JD Cacciarella. That's uh, J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A and Jack Cacciarella on TikTok. Thank you so much to Adam Sultan, our editor who helps us make the show happen every week. Thank you as well to the brothers at Midas Touch who produce Zoomed In, make the dream happen. And thank you again to you, Zoomed In listeners. We are so grateful and we are ready to keep this fight going in 2022. Thank you for Zooming In.